turn for our reading from God's Word, the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 1, and we're reading from the first verse. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who, from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well on in years. Once when Zechariah's division was in duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah saw him. He was startled and was gripped with fear. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Nothing could be more important for the Christian faith than an accurate knowledge of the facts of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And that is no surprise. These are the fundamental things that we need to be sure about. We need to know what he did. We need to know what he said, his words and his works. If we're doubtful about them, if we're not sure that that's really what Jesus did or that's really what he said, then we've no solid foundation for our faith at all. And we'd be left with doubts and questions and no answers to them. And so it's no surprise to us, surely, uh, that God, by the Holy Spirit, has provided for us four accounts of the life 
and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Four records of his words and his works, the four Gospels that we have in our Bibles. They provide the account that we need of these foundations. They're not, in any sense, complete biographies of Jesus. If you buy a biography of some uh, famous person, for example, you'll expect it'll probably begin with their birth, their childhood, it'll give an account of their adolescence, it'll aim to be as complete as possible. We turn to the Gospels and we find they don't all even deal with the birth of Jesus, and the focus uh, for all of them is really a a three-year period at the end of Jesus' life on earth. This public ministry that ends at the cross. Uh, Indeed, that last week looms very large in the Gospels. Almost half of Mark's Gospel covers one week of Jesus' life. About a quarter of Luke's Gospel is devoted to the same period. So these are not, in any sense, trying to be complete biographies of Jesus, but they are Gospels, a particular kind of literature that focus on key aspects of the life and the teaching of Jesus Christ. Each Gospel is quite distinctive when you're familiar with them. You could hear a passage and you might very well be able to identify which gospel it came from, even if you'd never read the particular words before. They're individual styles. Mark uh, is very short sentences, very simple Greek. Uh, It's usually the book of the New Testament that you start reading uh, when, when you're learning Greek. Others are rather more difficult and John very theological. First three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are quite similar in their approach. We sometimes call them the synoptic Gospels because we're looking at Jesus through the three lenses to get one picture of him. And then John stands a bit apart. John possibly writing rather later and supplementing what we have in the first three Gospels. But but the four blend together to tell us everything that we need to know about Jesus. Many things we might like to know. Many periods of his life really are completely closed to us. But we have what we need to know. And the Gospels ought always uh, to be at the heart of of our Christian living, our study, our own reading, and also in the preaching ministry of the church. It's dangerous when we think, well, I've read the Gospels, I know all of that, I want to get on to the harder stuff. A temptation sometimes, maybe Reformed folk in particular, want to get into Paul, want to get into Romans, get into the, uh, the really heavyweight stuff, and we think we've, we've done the Gospels. And that's a very unhealthy outlook. We get away from the foundations uh, and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Then we're getting away from what is fundamental to to the life of each of us uh, as Christians. 
So we're going to turn uh, for a time, God willing, to the Gospel of Luke. In the past, uh, we've gone through Mark in some detail. We've looked at sections of Matthew, of, of John, some of Luke, but we want uh, to look at the, the early chapters of Luke in particular. Luke, Gentile physician, I think there's little doubt about that. Uh, he's not actually named in the gospel, uh, but the, the, the testimony of the early church is absolutely unanimous uh, to Luke's authorship of this book and also uh, the book of Acts. An educated man, uh, a physician, uh, and his medical background will come through from time to time in the words uh, that he uses. You can see something of that. Uh, We'll notice one or two uh, of those today. Uh, An educated man with an outstanding uh, command of Greek, looks Greek, uh, is very good. Contrasts from the, the simplicity of Mark. Uh, and Luke is much more uh, developed, much more uh, sophisticated in terms of the language and the structure and everything else. And also is a very careful historian, and we'll be mentioning that again in a moment or two. So we're going to look today at the opening verses of Luke's Gospel, Luke 1 and verses 1 to 4. We are entitling our study today, Knowing the Certainty. Knowing the Certainty, because that really is the heart of these opening verses of the gospel. And the first thing we note in these verses is eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony. Notice uh, at the very beginning, first words of the gospel, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Many. Uh, These, of course, were events in the life of Jesus were of tremendous importance. And again, it's not surprising, many people were writing down at least some of their recollections uh, of what had happened, uh, accounts Uh, of the life of Jesus. Uh, Most of them we don't have. Uh, A few have survived that aren't in the Bible. But you look at them, uh, and often they are highly fanciful, obviously fictitious accounts. Very tempting, of course, to fill in the blanks that we don't know about from the, the Gospels that are in our Bibles. And people were uh, writing other accounts. You have accounts often of Jesus' childhood, supposedly. Uh, and silly accounts of Jesus making little clay birds and miraculously causing them to fly. They're just fictions. And there's no wonder those accounts are not in our Bible. But four have been preserved. We believe they're preserved by the agency of of God himself. God guided the early church to recognize these are the four God-breathed gospels. Other gospels may have facts in them. They're not all nonsense. They're not all fiction. But God guided the church to preserve these four and to include them in the canon of Scripture. And ultimately, it is the guidance of the Holy Spirit 
That's the explanation for the Bible that we have got, the books that are in and the books that aren't in. And so what we have here in Luke's Gospel is part of what Paul describes in 2 Timothy 3.16 as God-breathed. In other words, we're reading here not simply Luke's best efforts, but we're reading something that God superintended and the Holy Spirit guided Luke to write uh, in his first letter. Peter uh, will write there about holy men of God that were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that was true of Luke. Here's a man carried along by the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote. But notice what Luke is including in his gospel. See how he describes it in the first verse. The things that have been fulfilled among us. We have a profound sense here and in all the gospels of God at work. God fulfilling his plan, his purpose, his promises. It's a significant word that Luke uses, things that were fulfilled. Uh, These events are not random, they're not happening by chance, they're the fulfillment of the plan of God. There's very much a sense of a goal being reached in the public ministry of Jesus. There's been a long time of preparation, of waiting, of anticipation, and now is the time of fulfillment. Uh, And that'll be reflected in Luke, as it is in the other Gospels, by Old Testament quotations. Uh, You'll find, uh, for example, uh, when the ministry of John the Baptist is being described in chapter 3, there's a quotation from Isaiah 40, the voice uh, crying in the wilderness. And that prophecy was fulfilled in the ministry of John the Baptist, hundreds of years after Isaiah penned those words. And the fulfillment of prophecy is important because it reminds us God planned these things and he told the prophets about them centuries before they actually happened. And now they're being fulfilled. We are dealing with first and foremost here with God's work. They'll be told interesting things about the other characters who appear in the record, but this is God's work, and we mustn't lose sight of that fact. The things that have been fulfilled among us. You may not stop and think about those words, but they're important, fulfilled among us. A reminder that the events that Luke records were public events. They're not hidden away. They could have been seen by anybody who was there on that particular occasion. If you'd been standing by the River Jordan the day Jesus came down to John the Baptist, you would have seen him being baptized. These things were public. We're dealing with history. And again, that is 
very significant, what actually took place at a particular point in time. We're not dealing with myths and legends. There are plenty of those in other cultures. Uh, Maybe you've read some of the Greek myths uh, about Zeus and so on, or myths in other cultures. We're not dealing with myths and legends. We are dealing with historical events. It reminds us that history is of vital importance to the Gospels, vitally important to us as Christians. We're not dealing with stories and inventions and imagination. We are dealing with what God actually did at this point in history. We have an account of God's work. And as Paul uh, says in Acts 26, these things were not done in a corner. And we've no fear of historical investigation of these events. They will stand up to any investigation. They weren't done in a corner. They were public. They were fulfilled. Luke writes, among us were there. People saw them. There are many witnesses. And that's exactly what he stresses. The foundation of the gospel, he tells us in verse 2, were those who from the first were eyewitnesses. Crucial word he uses. It's a word literally that means those who saw for themselves. Through this written record that we are reading and studying, we have direct access to those who were present at these events, people who stood there, who heard Jesus speak, who saw him do the things he did. And we have access to that through Luke's record and also in the other Gospels. Here's the guarantee. We are dealing with true, accurate reports, eyewitnesses, people who saw and heard Yes, they they were recalled later under the direction of the Holy Spirit because people forget things. Maybe occasionally you forget things. And we might be tempted to say, well, that's all very well that these were eyewitnesses, but maybe they didn't remember accurately what they saw or what they heard. But the promise of Jesus to the apostles, John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit will remind you of everything I've said to you. In other words, it wasn't just the power of the memory of these people. They were enabled by the Holy Spirit. And so they are good eyewitnesses. And their recollections can be trusted. Eyewitnesses. Actually a word uh, that was used by medics, by doctors, of personally examining a patient. In other words, it's not second-hand It's not somebody coming to the doctor and saying, this is what's wrong with him, and these are his symptoms. The doctor goes and examines the patient himself, and Luke says, here are people who examined, who saw, who heard what happened in the ministry of Jesus, eyewitnesses. Servants of the word, they're also described as, again, another significant term. 
They're adding their own practical experience of what is written in the Gospels. Not just that they know what happened, but they've experienced the power of the Savior. They have felt the power of the words and the works of Jesus in their own lives. They've become servants of the word. They're not sitting back saying, this is nothing to do with me personally. This has touched their own lives, their own hearts. They're servants of the word. And again, it's the medical term for for the assistants who were hands-on with the patient. And again, that's what Luke's sources are. Hands-on, eyewitnesses. You can rely upon them completely. And so through a book like Luke, we couldn't get any closer to the events of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is as close as it is possible for us to go. We have eyewitness testimony. That's what God has provided through Luke and through the other gospel writers. We should be thankful to God that we can get so close to these events. We don't hear of second, third, fourth hand accounts. Luke is writing what he got from those who were there, those who saw, those who did literally touch Jesus, who would eventually be able to put their finger in the nail prints and the spear wound in his side. That's as close as we can get on the side of glory to Jesus. Eyewitness testimony. But then secondly, we have careful recording. Careful recording. It's all very well to have eyewitnesses. But you need an accurate record of what they saw and what they heard. There was an accident out in the Dublin Road, and half a dozen people saw it. The danger is, of course, over time they'll forget and their recollections will change. And unless there is an accurate record made, unless they, the police come and they take statements on the spot, you couldn't rely then on what uh, later on people might remember. You need to have careful recording of the eyewitness testimony. And praise God, that's what we've got here in Luke's gospel. These momentous events, life-changing events, required careful recording. And that's exactly what they've received in this book in front of us. Events, of course, are described from the human perspective. The Holy Spirit is at work at every point uh, in what Luke is writing. But the Spirit is working through a very human process of producing the record now that we are reading and studying. They were handed down to us. Notice that phrase in verse 2. And that describes a very careful process, both of oral and written Testimony and the transmission of that eyewitness testimony to other people and then to later generations. 
It would, first of all, be by word of mouth. It would be oral. And we think maybe that's a bit uncertain. But remember, this is an oral culture. People were trained to memorize. They would listen, they would memorize, they would repeat. It's a very, to us it might seem, old-fashioned form of education. But that's how children learn. They learnt off by heart. Some of you may have done that in the dim, distant past when that's still how schools were conducted. But that is how people learned, and they learned by heart. The scribes and the Pharisees could have recited probably most of the Old Testament from memory. It was an oral culture, and so people were accustomed to listen, to remember, and to repeat accurately. So that is no drawback for the early stages of the gospel records. That was the right kind of environment for people to remember and repeat very, very carefully. And the Lord, of course, had prepared the people, he'd prepared the culture so that there would be accurate recollection, repetition, and then eventually, of course, writing down. And you see, Luke says uh, there in verse 3, I myself have carefully investigated everything. Thorough research is implied by the words that Luke uses. He compared the existing sources. He read these accounts. He figured out what was nonsense and what was accurate. He was a good historian. He undoubtedly interviewed some of the eyewitnesses. And significant, I'm sure, when you get to Acts 27, when Paul's in prison in Caesarea, waiting to go to Rome for his trial, that is one of what we call the we passages in the book of Acts. We were. And others, Luke was there in Caesarea with Paul. Now, is it beyond the bounds of possibility that Luke would travel and go and interview Mary? Talk to some of Jesus' family. Talk to some of the apostles. Take their testimony. I think it's more than likely. It's exactly what a good historian like Luke would have done. He would interview the eyewitnesses and note down very carefully their testimony. And he had plenty of opportunity to do that. He did the work of a good historian. And some of you could tell us exactly what is required of a good historian. And Luke was. Where Luke's accuracy can be tested, and it's more in the book of Acts than in the gospel, but where Luke's accuracy can be tested, things like the precise titles for different magistrates and governors and so forth, wherever he can be tested, he passes all the tests He is a good, accurate historian. Very carefully has done the spade work. And then would come, of course, the stage of the written record. He says literally uh, there in verse 3, he is to write accurately in order. Again, he's choosing his words 
with care. It reminds us that he takes the same care in writing down the record as he applied in gathering the testimony in the first place. It's not that he was careful in getting his evidence and careless in writing it down. The same care, writing accurately. Again, it's a medical word for a doctor carefully questioning a patient to get his history, to get his symptoms, and so on. And he would do it accurately, carefully. And of course, Luke understands the importance of the issues at stake. He knows that this is work that must be done very carefully. And then he presents it, he says, in order. Now, he's not saying uh, that his gospel is chronological, that he progresses through the life of Jesus in chronological order. The gospels aren't particularly concerned with that. Mark is probably the most chronological. But you do find that the gospel writers will often bring together perhaps a number of miracles or a number of parables that have a similar theme. And so it is orderly, but not necessarily chronological. That is not evidence of carelessness or inaccuracy. It simply means you've got to understand what the gospel writers are trying to do. They're not necessarily concerned with providing a chronological account, but it's thematic. And whatever accounts are brought together, they are all trustworthy, they are all accurate. You can rely upon them. And sometimes we can discern the reasons why particular clusters of events were put together. They maybe deal with a similar issue or Jesus teaching on a, a particular subject. Sometimes we don't really know. But the proverbial bottom line is simply this, that we can have confidence in the reliability of what Luke writes. There's eyewitness testimony And that is backed up by careful recording. Yes, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, but Luke is not excused from doing the the good, solid, historical groundwork and recording it with the utmost care. Eyewitness testimony, careful recording, and finally, firm conviction. Firm conviction conviction. Uh, The gospel writers have specific goals in mind in penning their books. They're not simply to satisfy the curious or merely to provide a historical record. They have an agenda. Nothing wrong in that if the agenda is open and clear and you understand it. And Luke has an agenda in writing. The agenda, the goal of his gospel has to do with the confidence that his readers can have in what they are reading. He's writing, as verse 3 tells us, to someone he addresses as most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus is a name that means uh, a lover of God. But we know nothing about Theophilus. He's addressed uh, at the beginning of the book of Acts, but 
We know nothing whatsoever about Theophilus. He does appear to be an eminent man, most excellent, uh, is the way in which Paul uh, addresses the governors, Felix and Festus, in the book of Acts. Most excellent Felix, most excellent Festus. Uh, So Theophilus would appear to be uh, an eminent man, uh, a prominent man, maybe in government we don't uh, really know. Quite possible that Theophilus was Luke's patron. And his role might have been then to see to the copying and the circulation of Luke's book. You see, if you wanted to publish something in those days, uh, you didn't uh, write off to Banner of Truth or or to Christian Focus and say, would you like uh, to publish a book I'm writing? You might do that today and you might get a quick reply from them. But you didn't do that. You needed a patron. Uh, and he would ensure that the book was copied. Remember, there's no printing. Somebody somewhere is going to have to write it and write it and write it and copy it. Uh, and it would need means. It would need a degree of wealth to fund the publication uh, of a book like this. And it may well be, if we want to put it in modern terms, uh, that Theophilus was going to be Luke's publisher. Uh, it's certainly a, a strong possibility. Beyond that, we don't know. Theophilus, was he a believer? Maybe his name suggests that he was. Uh, And Luke refers in verse 4 to the things you have been taught. So he's a man who at least knows the basics of the gospel. And the role of this book is to confirm the faith that Theophilus has if he is a believer. That you may know the certainty. So Theophilus may have an acquaintance with the basics of the gospel. He may even have come to faith. And Luke wants to give him a confirmation of what he's learned and what he has believed. And to fill out, no doubt, what Theophilus has already heard. That you may know the certainty. It is a very clear agenda. Luke's not hiding it in any sense. He's stressing this is an accurate record of what God has done in Jesus to save sinners according to his eternal plan. And he wants Theophilus to be certain of that. And he wants all of his readers to be certain of that. Because Luke isn't just writing for one man, of course. He has the bigger picture in view of others who will be reading the gospel. If it is the case that Theophilus Uh, is still an unbeliever, that he isn't saved as yet, of course. Luke's hope will be that by reading uh, this account, by God's grace, Theophilus will come to conversion. And of course, often that has been the case. If someone's inquiring about the Christian faith, if someone wants to know more, usually the first thing we will say to them is, read one of the Gospels. Read it for yourself. Don't just listen to me talking or preaching or whatever. Go and read a gospel for yourself. And in the providence of God, many have been saved in simply reading a gospel account. So Luke has an agenda. He wants his readers to know the certainty of these things. And so for us, 
as we embark on Luke's gospel, the same agenda stands that we may know the certainty of these things. Here's a book that deserves, uh, that, that requires our attention. God is speaking to us through Luke. And he would have us know the certainty of these things regarding the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And that either our faith will be strengthened or if you haven't yet come to faith that you will. And you will trust in the Saviour about whom Luke is writing. Here's the opening then of a God-breathed book. And may the Lord enable us to hear the word of God and to know the certainty of these things. 